Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Today, we are continuing our Love, Sex, and Marriage series with one of our favorites. He is a regular here at Radiant Church, Pastor Josh Monty. He's been a friend of mine from the very beginning of Radiant's journey. He believed in us, coached us, spoke life into Katie and I many times in some crucial moments. He's one of our overseers here at Radiant Church, which basically means he helps us be accountable with all of our finances, staying healthy as a family and as a church. And I'm telling you, he always comes to Radiant with a great word. So I want you taking lots of notes. I want you shouting them down at every location. And right now, why don't you stand to your feet and let's welcome Pastor Josh Monty to the stage. Man, man, man. Radiant Church. It is so good to be here. And listen, I know, let me go ahead and just say this. And whether you're here or at another location, I know what you're thinking right now. Dadgummit. I finally got a friend to come to church today, and we got Forrest Gump <laughs> preaching. Listen, I know, it's not my fault. I went to college, I read books, and God just saw fit that for the rest of my life I would sound like a, a gazillionaire, and I didn't mind doing it. I cut their grass for free. <laughs> I love this church. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak here since it was just a brand new idea. And to see the way you've expanded, not just in this facility, but all over Tampa, uh, is not a surprise because when I met your pastor, um, I knew there was something special there. And I've, uh, I'm not new to it. We've had the opportunity to train and coach thousands of pastors, and when I met your pastor, I thought, man, this is gonna, this is gonna work, and if you're new to Radiant, I just need to say this before I get into God's word. Sometimes when, uh, when you see something like this, you wonder if the guy on the platform is as good in real life uh, as they are up here, and the reality is, I know what you're thinking today, that you showed up, and you finally, you came to church this morning, and when you have one of the greatest communicators in the country as your pastor every weekend. You didn't come here to hear a guest. And so I know, I gotta bring the heat today or you're gonna leave here very disappointed. But I want you to know something about your pastor. He is a phenomenal communicator. You already know that. He is a phenomenal leader. You can look around at all that's happened in the last few years. You already know that. But here's what I can tell you that you may not have had the chance to realize yet. Up close, as his friend, He's even better. And I just need you guys to know that you have a great leader here. And so can we just show a little love to Pastor Aaron? Man, I'm just, every location, just showing some love. So listen, so we're in this series um, uh, on sex and marriage, God, sex, and marriage. And so Pastor Aaron was racking his brain, and he's thinking to himself, who probably knows more about this topic than anybody else in my life. And it was me. It was obvious it was me. Um, we have four kids, and, um, and I don't like kids. Um, I just really like my wife. And, and so he said, I need to bring somebody in that some scientists would call an expert in this field. And uh, the reality is, uh, we've been now married for 11 years. We do have four kids. We started two churches together. We've helped train and start hundreds of other churches. We traveled the world together, and it's tough. 
And the reality is on a lot of days we get it really, really right and on a lot of days we get it really, really wrong. And I wanted to come and talk to you today about something that I think can not just help your marriage, I think if you're single looking to mingle, come on. If you're single, you, you're not in the 8.30 service. But if, you, if, you, if you're single, you'll be here later on. You know, you, it's, that's how that works. If you're single looking to mingle, you came to the right place. Church is the place to show up. But you go, man, I didn't want to come to a series on this because, like, right now, I was looking for Mr. Right, and I'm just dating Mr. Right now, and I'm not really excited about all that. And so do you have anything to say to me? Or you say, man, I'm in high school. This probably isn't for me. I hope today that what I can do is give you a picture for how to... Move forward in a relationship when conflict shows up because how many of you know conflict is coming? And if we can figure out how to move forward together in a way that's healthy, um, then I think that this year in every relationship in your life, let it be your marriage, your kids, uh, work, in church, I think this could be the best year yet if we can figure out how to fight forward. In fact, if I could give you the idea for the day, the thought, the biggest thought for the day would be what we want to figure out how to do together is to fight for what matters in a way that matters. We got to fight for what matters in a way that matters. Now, I've never been to your house. uh, I've never seen you fight, but let me just see if I could paint a picture. Let me guess about what that might look like. In every relationship, there's somebody that just, we just need to talk. We just need to talk about it, okay? I, you never talk. You just shut down. I need to talk. And then there's the powder. Now, any powders in the room? I'm a classically trained powder. Um, I, can tra- I can pout for, for 5, 10, 15, 20 years if you need me to. Um, um, I love pouting. Um, I can pout in several different ways. Um, I'll leave the house if you want me to pout like out loud. I I can pout by not responding to uh, your phone call. I can decline that, hit the little red button. I can pout that way. I like, my favorite way to pout is you're, uh, you and I are obviously in a conflict. We're obviously fighting. And then you text me something. You know I have the phone in my hand. I start typing so that the little dots come up <laughs> on the bottom. I leave that for three days and then just respond with K. You know, like so... I'm like a really good powder, like a, like, a real, like a professional. Some people say I'm the best. So there's always kind of somebody in our relationship that wants to talk about it and somebody wants to fight. So let me, let me just see if I can. I've never been to your house. I've never seen you fight, but maybe it looked something like this. One of us, one of us is sitting there maybe watching TV, maybe watching a movie, maybe watching a game or something, and then somebody comes in, um, uh, or maybe you're cooking dinner, and then somebody comes in, and you're just kind of, everybody's minding their own business, and, and then it kind of goes like this. What's wrong? What's wrong? And you're like, and then you say, nothing. Fine. Fine. Right? Which, guys, spoiler alert, if she ever looks at you and you say, babe, is everything okay? And she says, I'm fine. You are in trouble. You just don't know why yet. Stick around. You'll figure it out. So, fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then uh, the, the fight starts to kind of move. And Come on, babe. Like, like, talk to me, talk, you never want to talk, like, you always do this, you just shut out, I need to talk, and then it's just, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, I'm trying to pout, I can't pout, because you want to talk, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, finally, I decide, fine, you want to talk, <sighs> I come out of the cave, I am now prepared to talk, but I'm going to say really bad things about your mom, because I am done And 
and then we separate because we think that, oh my goodness, maybe my mom was right. Maybe he is a nut. Maybe my friends were right. We shouldn't have gone on that date. Maybe. And we end the fight questioning the direction of a relationship that was supposed to be a covenant. Here's the cool thing about a trap. When you know that it's there, it's really, really easy to sidestep. But for a lot of us, you didn't know that what you were doing was falling into an age-old trap. There's four stages of conflict. Let me give them to you real quick. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Um, The first stage is withdrawal. So that's the first stage. Now listen, withdrawal in and of itself isn't bad. You should probably pout. You should probably separate. You should probably get a little breathing room. But every now and then, you gotta separate. But man, I like the old days when we had phones that were attached to our houses. Do you remember? It was awesome. Some of you aren't old enough to know that, but it was a magical time. And, and, um, and what was great about it, there's, not a, there's a lot of limiting factors to a house phone that was attached to the side of your house. But one of the great things about it was when somebody made you mad. Because you could be like, oh, really? Really? Hang up several times very loudly, and now you can hear me hanging up on you. Right? iPhone can't do that. It's like, oh, really? 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 Beep. Like it just, like it just doesn't have the same kind of effect. Some of us like to just, I just need to get out of here. I just have to drive. I just gotta drive. I just gotta feel the wind in my hair. Okay? It's weird. But we gotta get out. We gotta, we, we're, we're, we're try, we gotta get out. We gotta, we separate. Withdrawal's not bad, but if you stay withdrawn, it escalates, which moves into the second stage of conflict, which is, number two, it's escalation. It's escalation. This is the part in the fight where it shifts from whatever it was about to this now made up thing. It starts with, I'm tired of you leaving your wet towel on the floor, and it ends with, your mom's a crazy person, right? And like, we don't even know what we're fighting about anymore, It's just now escalated. Like, I wanted to talk. You wouldn't open up. And so now I'm just ready to fight for fighting's sake, not to fix whatever it is that was wrong to begin with. Then we move into the third stage. Because if you've ever seen a bear that goes into the cave and hibernates, and then somebody would stand outside of that cave and just, you always do this. You never wanna talk. I wanna know your feelings. Why don't shut me out? You're the wind beneath my wings, right? When the bear finally comes out of the cave, he doesn't come out with a smile on his face and you move into the third stage, which is belittling. Now you wanted to fight, you'll get your fight. But I'm gonna make you pay for not letting me stay in my cave. And this is where I say the thing to put you down. Here's the problem with this stage of conflict. If I've been in a relationship with somebody longer than 37 seconds, I know the thing to say to shut you down and hurt you deeply. This is the part in the fight where we use that sentence and we win a fight and we lose a relationship because we move into the last stage of conflict, number four, which is false beliefs which is where you go lay on the couch and she goes in her room or you leave and you go hang out with your buddies or you go do whatever and this is when you start to believe, man, maybe we shouldn't be together anymore. Maybe our friends were right. Maybe, maybe 
then you know, my secretary listens to me. She thinks I'm great. She doesn't nag on me like my wife. She doesn't, well, because she's paid to deal with your nonsense. But we start believing a lie and we end up in a season of false beliefs. So a couple of fixes. How are we going to get there? How can we fix this? How can we go about this and addressing this in a way that could actually move you forward in your relationship? The first would be this. you got to start with the end in mind. See, the reality is here's the problem with how we end up doing marriage and kids and everything. Marriage, a lifelong covenant commitment, children, at least something that you've got to deal with for at least 18 years, like, we just start, like, with no end game in mind. We think in the beginning, love will keep us together. If we just have love, like, all we need is love, pastor. I love when I'm sitting with young couples doing marriage counseling, and she sits down, and she still thinks all his jokes are funny, and his dirty socks next to the chair is so cute. Can you just believe it? Like, he just, just does it. Like, he just... He takes his socks off, even though he knows where the hamper is, and he just sits them right down next to the chair, and he leaves them in a pile. There's 48 socks. Isn't it precious? And I say, well, tell me about your biggest fight. And she goes, we never fight. Oh, sweet angel. Oh, sweet, sweet angel. So the first in your primary identity is as a Christian, have you figured out the end game for your life? The greatest gift that you can give your marriage is to pursue God, and the greatest gift that you can give your children is a loving marriage. But most of the time, we abandon the first thing that will ever take our family to its final destination. So what is your destination as a follower of Jesus? You need to do a few things. I need to discover my purpose. This entire church was created to help you figure out what that is. And side note, we don't believe that Jesus died so that you could be an usher. But on your way to figuring out the thing that Jesus made you to do, why don't you usher a little bit? Just serve a little bit, get in some relationship, and in the process of making it about somebody else, God will reveal your purpose. I gotta figure out what my purpose is. So I gotta figure out what that is. And then number two, I gotta multiply my talents. There's too many Christians with their talents buried in the ground. This church has got to be the church where everybody's got sleeves rolled up, reaching people and doing their part. If you're going to build a marriage on purpose, you have to be a man or a woman on purpose. And if you want kids to live on purpose, they will not do what you say. They will do what you do. And so what is the end game for you? And then how about as a spouse? Do you have an end game for your marriage? When it starts out, it's just... Guys, it's just like, I don't know. I think we're probably just going to make out every day and then die. Like, I think that's probably, like right now, that's the first, that's my kind of default plan, and I don't really have a backup. <laughs> She's thinking, I should only probably have to do this a few more times, and then he'll probably get tired of it. So what's the end game? So my wife and I decided when we got married, that what if it looked like at the end, what if at the very end of this we were still best friends? You know, the average couple only speaks four minutes a day. You're like, that's not true, that's not us, okay? In a conversation that doesn't have to deal with running your house or living or running your kids. 
You only speak four minutes a day for the next 18 years. Your kids get out of the house and you're living with a stranger. So if you want, we said we want to be best friends, which means we have to have intentional time where we're talking to each other about how we're doing and how life's going. So we want to be best friends. And then we want to, number two, we want to still be dating. So that means like I got to like, I got to still date my wife. I still have to woo her a little bit. Like I, I got I to gotta go to the gym every now and then, you know? I struggled for a little season of my life with furniture disease. You know what that is? That's when your chest falls into your drawers. And I had to, I was like, I told her, I was like, babe, don't get mad at me. I'm in a bulking phase right now. And she said, I'm tired of your bulking phase. About 10 years too long, you're in your bulking phase. Maybe eat a carrot. So I started doing that, and now she likes to kiss me and stuff again. So that's been going good. But I want to be dating, and so I have to pursue her. I have to pursue her and, and create a little romance. As a parent, we have kids, and then we, isn't it crazy that we never set out to decide what our kids would and should become? We just want them to survive. Like when they're first born, you remember the first day in the hospital? We're like, just don't die. I got you, man. And then they let you put it in the car seat, and you're like, you're not going to background check me or nothing. And they just let you put that kid in the car and leave with a human. But the day that we were sitting in the hospital, I wrote down five things that I wanted them to say about my son when he left my home. That he would be honest. we got to tell the truth. That he would be integrous. You say that's the same thing. No, Jesus prayed, God, that they would be uh, one just as you and I are one. We preach it like Jesus was saying, God, that they would be unified. He used the word integritas, meaning, God, that they would be whole and undivided just like you and I are whole and undivided. So he'd be the same at Sunday school as he would be in the locker room. And that he would be pure. God, I need him to be pure. I'm gonna fight for his purity. And so there's stuff we don't watch and places we don't go and things we don't do and halftime shows we don't tune into. Hardworking. Too soon? I'll keep going. Hardworking. Come on, we want to be the hardest working person in the room and that he would be a lover of Jesus. That means we reward those five things in my home. We celebrate those five things in my home. And that's what we talk about and work toward every day. But we establish what would they say of our children when they leave our home. And that's what we're working toward. Two things you have to have for a GPS to work. You got to know where you're going. And most of us never decide that. Then you got to be honest about where you really are. And so how can we stop these stages of conflict? How can we figure out the destination? And what would it look like for us to take this covenant relationship and fight for what matters in a way that matters? The rules are the tools. My wife and I, we'd been dating for like three weeks. Now, I come from the most dysfunctional home on the planet. It was broken, uh, alcoholic father, bipolar mother. I was beaten every day of my life. Um, I did not know what healthy relationship looked like. I did not know what being a dad looked like. I did not know what it meant to like show compassion to my wife. I did not know what it meant to give grace to children. Like I didn't know. And so when we got, we started dating, all we knew was uh, we did not want to become what we had seen in our past. And so one time though, we were in a, we had been dating for about three weeks and she, um, was, uh, had been in relationships where like loudest person wins. And so, um, so like we got in a fight and I don't remember what she did wrong, but it's been a long time now. But anyway, so she did something and then she's like, walks out, boom, slams the door behind her. And I just stood there. About 10 seconds later, she comes walking back in. Walks out, bam, slams the door behind me. Third time, she comes back in, and she goes, 
Are you not going to fight me? And I said, let's sit down. To which she said, don't you pastor me. Don't you pastor me. I said, sit down. I want to have a conversation because I really think I want to marry you. But if we're going to do this, then we got to figure out a way to fight forward. And I don't know how to do it and you don't know how to do it. So we're going to go to God's word and we're going to figure out how to fight forward. And so we wrote down a list of 10 rules. 10 rules that were going to govern the way that we did relationship. And we actually typed them up. We actually hung them in our house. And when we would mess up this covenant between each other, we would point to the covenant, not to each other. These rules changed our life, and I think they might change yours. Number one, we have one day to deal with the fight. One day to deal with the fight, because here's the reality. The first stage of conflict is withdrawal. I have to pout. It is inside of my body. I must pout. I must get away. But we put a rule in that says we only have one day to deal with the fight. Because Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And so we took the principle of that and we said, we have 24 hours to deal with conflict. What that doesn't mean is take a legalistic turn on it. And now if we get in a fight and it's like 5.30 and the sun's going down, we just start screaming at each other to work it out before it gets down. What we decided was, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna own the principle of this. And now she just comes to me and says, hey, it's obvious that you're upset. When you're ready, we need to talk. The clock in my home has now started. Now I can either pout for the full, I used to take 23 hours and 58 minutes. Now I just wait for an hour or so, get my pout out, collect my thoughts, and then we go sit down and we have a conversation. We have a rule in place to keep me from sabotaging our relationship by pouting and, and, and staying unhealthy too long. So rule number two, we don't say always and never in a fight. Because you don't always or never do anything. That's hyperbole. It's exaggeration. You're trying to elicit a fight. And you don't even know what's actually wrong. Proverbs 18, 13 says, To speak without listening is folly and shame. Though what we need to do is do a great job of asking questions first. St. Francis of Assisi said, Seek first to understand, not be understood. Like, what's going on? Hey, I can see that you're upset, but what we do is we keep throwing rocks inside of the cave because what I really want is to get this fight out now. Just get out here and talk to me. She doesn't have to chase me into the cave anymore because I've already committed to rule number one. But if I were to break rule number one and pout too long, we have rule number two, that she's not gonna use always and never. She's gonna ask questions to try to get to the bottom of a thing instead of assuming uh, that she knows what's going on. Rule number three, we will not say the thing to win the fight. First Peter chapter three. Finally, all of you, and in the original Greek, um, that actually means all of you, okay? Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. Because to this you were called so that you would inherit a blessing. And the verse goes on to say, and whoever of you would want to love life and see good days, you must control your tongue. You're saying things that are hurtful. And a lot of times the devil hasn't had to touch our relationships in years because we're doing it with our own tongues. 
The devil hasn't had to mess with some of our marriages and our relationship with our kids because we are too willing to win a fight instead of fight for the relationship to be right. Before you open your mouth, ask yourself this question. Is the thing I'm about to say worth what I'll give away? Is the thing that I'm about to say worth what I'll give away? I'm gonna win a 30-second fight to mess up a 10-year relationship. And we call that power. Isn't it just like the devil of hell to call you winning a 30-second fight to mess up a 10-year relationship power? That's not power. That's weakness. Because we didn't have the discipline to hold our mouth and fight for what's right over winning a fight. So we're going to win the fight by being quiet. So, number four, we will never yell. We will never yell. So sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it, we, we don't use always and never, but then when you're, doing, when you're doing it at an elevated volume, okay, your tone gets missed and your heart gets missed. And so we're not gonna yell. And Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the lifting up of others so that all who listen would benefit. So it actually has to pass two things actually before you say anything in your life, whether at a water cooler or in a fight or in a conflict with your wife, your kids, your church or anywhere. Is it true and is it right? Because he said it actually has to be true for you to say it, which we all kind of assumed, but it can't assassinate or destroy the character of the person you're talking about or the person you're saying it to. So it has to build everybody when it comes out of your mouth. So I'm not gonna yell. Now I can repent to you today and say that there are many times in my life where I didn't yell, but I said it more painfully, quietly. So I would love to add here, like we will never yell, but we'll also not use sarcasm. We'll also not use a tone. We'll also not condescend. Because it's really easy to say a hurtful thing quietly and still hurt. We like, to, we, like to, we like to villainize yelling, but I've seen and had a lot of conversations where I hurt people just as badly with a whisper. Yeah, yeah. Number five, we will never quit. Your pastor taught you this last week. This is a covenant, not a contract. This is a covenant, not a contract. Like, we're not gonna quit. Quitting is not an option. You know this. The two shall become one flesh. They're no longer one, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God, this is not uh, a contract, it's a covenant. We said this though, number six, if we get in trouble, we're gonna get help. If we get in trouble, we're gonna get help. And I think that there is a stigma around counseling and around asking people for help and being vulnerable, that this church was built and created and designed to tear apart. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't gotten in a small group, I wanna encourage you. The greatest gift you might give your marriage in this season is going through freedom, getting in a small group, finding a marriage small group, getting along somebody and helping them. Like, it could change the game for you forever, and I wanna encourage you. If you get in trouble, get help. And understand this. Our struggle, Ephesians 6 says, is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, you're fighting a spiritual battle because marriage is a spiritual relationship. And if you get in trouble, you need to get help. Talk to somebody. Don't do it alone. Quitting is not better. The secretary is not better. If the grass is greener on the other side, it's because the water bill is higher. 
touch your neighbor right now and say, pay your own water bill. <laughs> Which brings me to point number seven. We will drink from our own well. Let me give you the scripture. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in public? Having sex with just anyone. You should reserve it for yourselves. Don't share it with strangers. Could I say with a scream? Could I say with a magazine? Could I say with a TV show? Could I say with these things? That let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving doe, a graceful deer. Guys, when you go home today, you make your wife some dinner. You put on a candle. You get a little candle going. You get a little, little music going, a little Barry White. And I want you to look at her and go, girl, you hotter than Bambi. Mm. Girl, I look at you. You hot like Bambi's hot. It's the, it's the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And then I'll blast it. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by love. So, do with that verse what you will. It's the Bible. I didn't make it up. But we got to drink from our own well. We got to drink from our own well. And some of us don't have enough boundaries in our life. And it's really easy to take some sips out of other people's wells. It's a screen that you need a filter on. Guys, it's a relationship that you need to sever don't be alone in the car if you're married with a person of the opposite sex. You go, well, we got to do it for work. Then get a different job. Because at the end of this job that you're working your tail off for, they're going to give you a watch and say thank you for your service. And so what would it look like, man, just to say, no, I'm going to fight for my marriage. I, I mean... I got a gal that works with me. We're 20 minutes from the office. She lives right down the street. It would make all the sense in the world for her to jump in the car with me and ride down to the office. It would save her gas, save me gas, might destroy everything I'm trying to build. And so what would it look like to fight for those things? Accountability partners weren't meant to give you somebody to share your dumb mistakes with. They were the fence that God was intended to put around you to keep the stupid that's inside of you from getting out. So let me, let me hurry. Number eight, we're going to parent as a team. Listen, kids, I love you. If you're a child in here today and your parents brought you to church, it's the most loving thing they could have ever done in your life. They love you, and that's why they brought you here today. But I also need you to understand something that you may not know today. Your parents are a family. And you are a welcome addition. And if you get it twisted and you believe that having kids is what made you a family, you will worship at the, at the idol of children instead of at the marriage. And then your kids are going to grow up confused, believing that the children should be the center of the world. And we believe that sports build character. Team sports don't build character. Parents of character raise children of character. If sports built character, then the people of highest moral fiber in our nation will be professional basketball players and football players. They do it every day. Your team, your kids are a welcome addition. Number nine, we're going to fight for radical generosity. The great theologian, Hank Williams Jr., <laughs> said, no matter how I struggle and strive, I'll never get out of this world alive. And so my family lives a legacy life. 
We are constantly thinking about the future and what that's going to look like. And I would add to that, you can't become generous until you become obedient. Don't have time for that, but let's finish with this. Number 10. We decided this 11 years ago. Tens of thousands of people that we've led to the Lord later. States, cities, countries that we've preached in. Today we launched a campus in Jupiter. We have a campus in Wellington. And hundreds of people will find Jesus today while I'm here with you. And it's because we made a decision 11 years ago. We will use this marriage to serve Jesus. My goal in my marriage is this. That it would be a window into heaven. There were five things that God gave us that we couldn't deserve. Love, service, submission, acceptance. Love, service, submission, acceptance. Forgiveness. Five things you you can't earn that he gave you freely. The point of marriage was so that you would freely give it to the person in your life. So that when people would look at you, your marriage would actually be a window into heaven. So that when people would want to know the God that you know and go the places that you go. I wonder, I wonder if our relationships, I wonder what they are a window to. The grace and the compassion and the love of God or the dysfunction of the world that we already see around us. We have a chance to fight for what matters in a way that matters. But you'll never be able to do it if you first don't say, Jesus, I give my life over to you. We need to submit understanding that in his goodness, he'll give you a grace to lead yourself, lead your family, and lead your kids. Let me pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for today. God, I just pray for every person in this place with heads bowed and eyes closed today. If you would just say, God, today, I have not submitted my life to you. And so I can't even do marriage your way. God, today, I acknowledge the sin in my life. Jesus, I believe you died for me so that I could live for you. And today, in the best way I know how, I commit my life to you. And for all of us today, God, we recognize we have been fighting by our own set of rules and we're gonna use your word to define how we move forward. And that God, today, we will commit that in our marriage in our, with our parents, with our kids, with our friends, with our coworkers, and at church, God, we're gonna recognize today that the rules are the tools and you're gonna use those things to change our relationships forever. God, teach us how to fight for what matters in a way that matters and we'll be careful to give you all of the glory. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, give him a hand of praise. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.